Praise God. It's good to bring our burdens to the Lord and bring our needs to the Lord. But it's also good to bring our praise and our worship to the Lord. In fact, that's the first thing we should do, you know, just acknowledge God's goodness in spite of whatever it is that we may be going through in life. Just acknowledge that God is good and God has been with us and He's brought us thus far. And it is good to give Him praise and worship like we've been doing this morning. And I trust at home as well, you've been joining us, uh, not just sitting and watching, but in your heart and even with your lips, just praising the Lord and, and honoring Him. And then in that atmosphere of adoring God, we bring our burdens to Him, we bring our needs to Him, because He's a God who loves us. He is concerned about us. And one way or the other, He touches our lives. And so we give Him glory and praise. Amen. Praise God. Good morning, church. Welcome to everybody both here present and online. It's good to be together around the Word of God. Be together worshiping the Lord and bring Him glory. Well, this is part three of our series, Upside Down. And in this part three, we're going to be talking about disturbance. <laughs> disturbance, all right? Paul and his team were preaching in Greece, as you know, and in those areas there in the middle and northern part of Greece. And wherever they went, they caused a disturbance. <laughs> eh? And... Um, when they arrived in Thessalonica, which is the, the theme that we've been talking about, that visit of them when they went to Thessalonica, when they arrived there, their fame preceded them. When they heard, this is Paul and Silas arriving, they had heard what had been happening in the other towns. And if you've been reading the Acts chapter 17, 16, 17, 18, you're familiar with the story. As you went around the different cities... People received the gospel, but immediately there was that reaction from the unbelievers. And the reaction wasn't just, oh, all right, man, believe more what you want. No, their reaction was hostile, even chasing them and trying to beat them and all sorts of things that took place. But whether they were chucked in prison, beat up, chased away, they did not stop. They were relentless. And by the time they got to Thessalonica, their fame preceded them. And as people started following Jesus, our now familiar accusation came up against them. And you read about it in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. When they did not find him, they went looking for Paul and Silas. When they didn't find him, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Imagine this. Accusing them of turning the world upside down. It is strange and funny almost because these guys are the ones that are turning the city upside down. They are the ones who went, that went to fetch the hooligans from the marketplace. They are the ones that went to Jason's house. They are the ones that caused a, a riot and, and nonsense in the city. But they are accusing Paul and Silas of turning the city and the world upside down. They were accused of causing a disturbance. And as I said, disturbance is the topic of the message this morning. Now, first of all, <laughs> I, I hope this message will disturb all of us to some extent. Okay? Because sometimes the gospel is so welcoming, so sweet, so soothing. Sometimes the gospel, the word of God, can be a little bit disturbing. Ah, 
you know, and those are the days you come to church, and when you hear a disturbing word, you say, why didn't I stay home and just pray? <laughs> but you did the right thing in coming to church. You did the right thing in tuning in and listening to this word, because the word of God is, is like a, a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And it wants to touch areas in our lives and challenge us sometimes and, and, and talk to us about things that sometimes you don't want to talk about. But then you find ourselves in a, in a position where we feel stirred up. And, and, and the reason I want us to feel disturbed today to some extent is that we can be stirred up to action. Amen? May we not just be saved people. It is great to be saved, hallelujah, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to know that we're going to heaven one day, to know that right here we can have his peace in our hearts and his guidance in our lives. But also, I would like to be sa- us to be saved people who desire to see other people saved. Huh? Amen? Let us not be just about ourselves, about us. I want to be saved. I want to be okay. No, but that we also have a desire to see other people saved. And also, second place, I hope this message will stir us to disturb and upset some people in our lives as well. Through our lives and through our values, may some people around us be disturbed. Hmm? Ah, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to the meaning of this term, all right? You see, we are still feeling the effects of this global pandemic. And before the pandemic, many people lived comfortable lives. If they, they needed anything, they could just get up, get in the car, get in a bus, get in a taxi, and, and go and get it and come back home, you know? It was easy. During the pandemic... Many lost that lifestyle, not in terms of just mobility, but even in the ability to get up and have the financial means to get whatever they want. Many people are still struggling and in the recovering process. But many people are on the way to recovery. Many have found new ways of living relatively comfortably in the middle of this craziest time we're living in right now around the world. If they need anything, they just go online and get it. Okay, whatever it is. If they want to see a distant friend or relative, well, they do a video call. We've become experts in doing video calls these days and and dealing with each other online. Things which were foreign to us before the pandemic have become a new way of life for us now, eh? And many people have adjusted to a new and different level of comfort. Now, the word comfort is always dangerous to the believer because the minute you get comfortable, you stop being active. There's a tendency. You know, we, we, we struggle for something. We struggle to get something in life. We struggle to get to a certain level of comfortableness. And then when we get it, we go, ah, this is so nice. And we stop. We seem to lose sense of reality around us. That praise God, if you've been blessed at a certain level of comfortableness or whatever it is that we've got, let's use that as a platform to continuing 
to minister to others, to reach out to others. Let us not get complacent in our life. Let's learn to look around and see what's going on and realize that people still need Jesus. People still need salvation. And some people have become comfortable in their own way of life and they don't care about God anymore. They don't care about church anymore. <laughs> Amen? Oh, yeah. Living in such a world, it is relatively easy to fall into a comfortable, convenient lifestyle of Christianity. You know, even us as Christians, even us can settle in a level of comfortableness which causes us to be inactive for the kingdom. We're okay. We, we come into heaven. Our place is booked. Amen. I've got my ticket to heaven. I've got faith in Jesus and, and the Lord is blessing me. Hallelujah. But we forget that we have been commissioned to reach out. To go and make disciples. That doesn't mean you've got to go every day door to door with your big Bible and, you know, challenge people. No. But it does mean that through our lifestyle, through our values, and through being alert to what is going on around us, we make use of every opportunity that we can to help people come closer to Jesus. And sometimes when we do that, when we live that Christian life before the world, when our speech, our actions, goes against the grain of the world. When you are in school, or we are at work, or you are at play, and something happens, and everybody is swearing and flicking and going to Kira, and you are not doing that. You are holding it back. You're not revengeful. You're not stealing from your boss. You're not trying to be popular and putting all sorts of rubbish on the media, on social media. And you're not doing that. People notice. They say, now what's wrong with you? Why are you being weird now? And two things can happen. They can either be drawn to what you've got, or they can be offended and disturbed by what you've got. Huh? And that is exactly what was happening in Thessalonica. It's exactly what happened in the first century, and exactly what's been happening in all the centuries until today, and it's what's going to continue to be happening until Jesus returns. And man, that's going to cause a disturbance. Huh? Imagine a world where they are trying to put a, a political system in place where the whole world can live in peace and, and, and be controlled and, and they can, can manipulate everybody and, and, and the countries are kind of learning to work together under some form of dictatorship and so on. And all of a sudden from heaven comes down this being, all powerful, almighty, and disrupts everything. and says, uh-uh, I am king. I am Lord. Hello? And some of us are going to say, Yay, hallelujah, about time, Jesus. But some people are going to get highly disturbed. Amen? So guys, we might as well accept that disturbance is part of our life. Okay? It's part of the Christian walk. It's part of being who we are. And you need to embrace that. First of all, we need to allow the gospel to disturb our lives, to cause us to give up on a whole bunch of worldly rubbish and, and follow the Lord, give up on sin, give up on all this worldly lust and craziness and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We get disturbed first and then as we settle in that life, 
we begin to disturb other people. Not because you want to disturb people, but because that is just what the gospel does. Do you think that Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica to disturb them? Do you think they sat in, in Philippi, wherever they were before, and, and said, okay, where is the next city we can go and disturb? How can we disturb those guys? No! They came there with the same attitude that Jesus had. He cared about people. He wanted to see them connected with God. And that is what drove them. They didn't come there to disturb anybody. They came there to preach the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation of all those who believe. That's all they did. They were not even forcing people to get saved. They were simply preaching the gospel and people could choose to accept or to reject. And those who accepted, they were spending time with them and teaching them the word. And they were teaching them good things. But the people got disturbed <laughs> and they made a disturbance in the city. Huh? But as I was saying, it is very easy for us as Christians, even in the world we're living in right now, to become complacent and have a comfortable, convenient style of Christianity. This new reality that we're living in right now has made it easy for some believers to shop around for a church that provides the service that they want. Okay? Not that they need, that they want. You can go online and find all sorts of churches, all sorts of worship styles, all sorts of preachers, all sorts of convictions, from the conservative to the eccentric, yeah, under the banner of Christianity. You go there and you find some good, solid stuff, but man, you find some wackos there as well, eh? Preaching in the name of Jesus. It's become open to everybody. And what happens is people, many of them without discernment, just go look for something that they want, that kind of tickles their ears. Just like the Bible said in the last days would happen. If it makes, if it kind of meets their needs and makes them feel good, they will attend in person or online, of course, if there is nothing else happening at that time, okay? If there's a game, if there's a party, they'll go there first. If they've got spare time, they'll go. It's become a, a very convenient kind of Christianity. And guys, and I'm hearing this from all over the world. It's not our problem. It's an international problem. Not international. It's a problem in the free world. Okay? We spoke last week about countries where Christians are persecuted. In those countries, this kind of thing doesn't happen. The guys are committed. The guys are faithful. They're not shopping around. They, they're giving their lives for Jesus. But in the Western world, with all our comfort and all our online stuff and all our choices, Christians are becoming like this, complacent. They want what they want. All right? There's no need to be committed to one church or to a group of people that you can call your spiritual family. No need to give. No need to help. It has become an on-demand Christianity, like everything else, that, like shopping online. When I need Jesus, I can go online. And I can ask for prayer, and I can put a request there, and I can watch a good sermon here, I can watch a good worship over there, on demand, as I need. There is no more sacrificial commitment. There is no more connection. There is no more family. Ouch. And it's, it's the opposite of what the Lord calls us to do. It's the opposite of what 
the apostles were trying to create. However, Jesus has called people to take up their crosses, to lose their lives if they wish to follow him. Jesus says, hey guys, you want a comfortable life? You want health, prosperity, time, good things? Just follow me, man. No ways. He made it very clear from the beginning. Take up your cross and follow me. And he made very sure that guys that did not understand this message, he kept them away from his group. When guys came, oh, oh Jesus, yes, I want to follow you, but, but first I've got to do this, I've got to attend to my business, I've got to attend to this. He says, okay, listen, it's okay. Just go, go and do your thing, it's fine. You know, when, when you're ready, you can come back. Not now, you're not ready. Bye. Oh, that's so harsh. That's not harsh. Jesus knew the reality of what it is like to be committed to the Lord. Jesus was committed. Jesus, the Son of God, living on this earth, like you and I, as a human being, He was committed. He suffered for His commitment because of the sin in the world, opposing the work of God and the kingdom of God. And you and I, we have to live through this as well until Jesus comes. And so we need to make up our minds that we're going to follow the Lord and that we're going to live full out for Him. And the message today is about that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to end this message by asking four simple questions, and that's it. You go home and you answer them. But that is what it's all about. It's a commitment to be disturbed, and to be a disturbance requires commitment. You, you see, we, we want victory. We want success. We want breakthroughs. Those are wonderful things, and God wants us to have them. But if I say I want victory, what does victory imply? Victory implies there is a battle <laughs> that I can get to victory. We all want the victory. None of us want the battle. Now, it's true that Jesus has won the war, but you and I are still going to battle. But we are not going to battle alone because he is with us. And we need to understand that, that we are not alone. No matter what we face, no matter what the challenges are, we are not alone. We can face it. We will go through it in Jesus' name. If we want success, success implies planning, strategy, work. And if you want success in our lives, we're going to have to do all that. We're going to have to sweat it. You're going to have to work. But you are not alone. God is worth you. The Holy Spirit is worth you in your planning, in your working, in your strategizing. We want good families, good homes, good marriages, good relationships. All those things are possible, but they require effort. They require wisdom. And the Lord is with us to help us to do all those things. We are not alone in any endeavor in this world. And that's the difference. Because people out there without Jesus, they rely on their own ability, their own capacity, their little circle of friends. They're always scared of everybody else, competing with everybody else. The Lord is with us. We don't have to do this alone. We don't have to do it under fear. We don't have to do this watching our backs. We can do it with joy. We can do it with peace. Amen? And when our lives here are over, for whatever reason, it's not the end. <laughs> it's only the beginning. 
Because when you're 80, 90, 100, whatever it is that you're going to be in this earth, when your life here is over, it's only the beginning of an eternity with Jesus, where there's so much more that is going to happen. So you know what? It's like Paul said, hey, whether I live or whether I die, I am his. You know, I'm fine. And that's why, because of that conviction and that commitment that he had, he had no fear of causing disturbances. Like I said, he did not go out to cause a disturbance. But if you follow the gospel, if you follow Jesus, if you embrace the sway of life, somewhere along the line, somebody's going to be disturbed with you. And they're going to let you know about it. And then what are you going to do? Are you going to give in? Or are you going to stand your ground no matter what? These guys had to face prison, being chased away, beatings. Eventually, Paul gave his life for Jesus. And he counted a joy and a pleasure. Most of us will not have to do that. Like I said last week, some of our brothers right now are doing that. They are risking their lives to follow Jesus in some nations. But we are blessed in South Africa. We are blessed in the so-called free world. So let's not allow this comfortable Christianity, this lazy Christianity to get a hold of us. Let us be committed. Let us do what we can, amen? And get involved and do something for the Lord. And let our lives reflect Jesus, amen? The life that the apostle, in the, the life of the apostle Paul gives us a concrete example of what it means to be committed. And you know, as before he got to Thessalonica, he was mistreated in, uh, in Philippi. But yet he comes to this other city with boldness, prepared to engage with them. Now, just like in Paul's day, the world around us today, needs to be disturbed. In the Western world, people think they know all about Christianity. Unfortunately, many people have learned all the wrong things that Christians have done throughout the years, and they focus on that. After 2,000 years of being in the world, the Christian church has made many mistakes. Christians have made many mistakes. Christian leaders have behaved badly. And of course, the critics... The unbelievers, they point to all this as, ha, 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 you guys are as bad as everybody else. You see, it's not about the Christians. It's about Christ. The message of the gospel, it's the message about Christ. And we need to understand that. And as we preach the gospel, people need to understand that. They mustn't be disturbed by the mistakes that Christians make. They must be disturbed by Christians living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's talk about what disturbed means. There are several definitions for the word disturbed. It can mean a stir in your excitement. It can mean an interruption of a settled state of things. It can be an emotion of the mind. Agitation. Excitement of passion. Perturbation. Disorder of thoughts. Confusion, okay? But for our purposes here, I will use the following definition. Interruption of a settled state of things. Things are settled. Things are running normally, in a balanced way. Society is going smooth. 
And then comes something which disturbs that balance. In other words, to upset the natural balance of things. Thessalonica was humming. The Jews were gathering in the synagogues. Some Greeks had joined the synagogues that believed in the Lord as well. They having their meetings. The pagans were going on with their rituals in the temple. And it was fine. The marketplace was buzzing. People coming, buying, shopping, going home. Everything was balanced. Everything was normal. In comes Paul and Silas. They go into the synagogue because they were Jews. And in the synagogue, they opened the Old Testament and they begin to tell these guys that this Jesus that was crucified recently in Jerusalem is actually the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. For three meetings, they sit over there and they expound on the Old Testament, showing them that Jesus is the one prophesied. And guess what happens? A whole bunch of Greeks and a bunch of Jews begin to believe in the message. And they begin to follow Paul and Silas. And that's when the balance was disturbed. And so the Jews that were jealous caused this riot. And then they take Jason and, and, and some believers before the authorities. And then the full accusation which they made, you find in, in verses 6 and 7 of, um, of Acts. And what they say is that, these guys that have turned the world upside down have come yet as well. And they are defying Caesar. And they are saying that there is another king called Jesus. You see, it was not just accusing them of turning the world upside down. They tell them why they turned the world upside down. They defying Caesar and saying there's another king called Jesus. Now, of course, the authorities, they were not Jews. They were Greeks. But when they hear that they define Caesar and there's another king, man, this has to do with politics. This has to do with treason. And so there was big uproar in the city. And then these guys were chastised and so on. Now listen, in ver verse 8 of chapter 17. The, when, when the people heard this, the authorities, the people and the city authorities were disturbed. You see there? They were disturbed when they heard these things. That's the effect that the message had. Now, they were preaching that, you know, there was a king. They were not saying that this king came to take the place of Caesar. They were simply preaching salvation. And because of this disturbance, Paul and Silas were thrown out. Everything was normal until Paul and Silas came. But then because of this message, the city was disturbed. The people, the authorities. It, they got so disturbed, they were ready to kill Paul and Silas. Because of treason. Now, in one sense, both charges were exaggerated and false. Number one, it was Paul's accusers that were upsetting the world and stirring up stuff, it, the crowds. It wasn't Paul and Silas. The people were stirring their crowds. And Paul exhorted his followers to live quiet and tranquil lives in all godless and dignity. He also instructed believers to be subject to the governing authorities. So Paul was not being a rebel. He was not committing treason at all. But in another sense, both of those charges were true. Well, at least ought to be true, because 
Christians should upset the world and turn it upside down by confronting it with the gospel. And number two, Christians do proclaim that Jesus is king and Lord over all, even over Caesar, even over any existing president today, even over any queen or king today. Jesus is Lord and king over all. And we as believers, we first follow Jesus, and then we follow the law, which means if some king or president or nation makes a law that goes against the law of Jesus, we're going to say no. Thank you for that, amen. (laughs) Isn't that true? There are laws right now in this nation which go completely against the laws of God. I'm going to disobey those laws. I'll never apply those laws to my life or encourage anyone to follow those laws. And that's another discussion, okay? But the fact is this. Our allegiance is to Jesus first. Just because it's okay for the world to do stupid things, it's not okay for you and I to do stupid things. Hello? So, the gospel disturbs. It upsets the normal way of things. Ever since the fall of the human race into sin, people have been in rebellion against the creator and lord of the universe. We are born in sin and we continue in sin unless we are upset by the gospel and confront sin. Amen? Sin has made the world stand on its head. And only Jesus Christ can turn it upside down, which makes it right side up again. Only Jesus can do it. So why does the gospel upset people so much? When it is proclaimed rightly, it confronts people with their sin and calls them to surrender their lives to fully trust Jesus. Disturbing a community can be dangerous. That community could be your family, could be your friends, could be your place of study, could be your work, and it's not for the faint-hearted. Your reputation may disappear. People may look at you differently, and you may get to be part of a God-sized movement that will change your world forever. Standing for Jesus can be dangerous. Jesus disturbed people. Jesus didn't set out just to disturb The disturbance was a result of who he was and what he did. Now we know that Paul and Silas disturbed people. Paul didn't set out to disturb anyone. But what he said and his determination to get his message out, that disturbed people. And if we want to turn the world upside down, we're not intentionally trying to disturb anyone. It's not our goal to disturb people just because we want to or because we can. No ways. But it is certain that if we go all out for Jesus, we will disturb some people. You will upset the balance, the stability of their present lives. But you will give them hope for a better future here on earth and the certainty of spending eternity with the Lord. So the question is, are you ready? And I'm ending with this full part in this question of a year. Are you ready? First of all, are you ready to stand for Jesus? 
Don't answer me loud. Just think through it, okay? Are you ready to stand for Jesus? We won't back down from standing for Jesus. We don't have to be confrontational or argumentative. We don't have to be the loudest in the room. But we have to be committed. From the day I made a commitment to follow Jesus, I had to make some changes in my life. I had been brought up in church. I knew the gospel. I knew everything. But the minute I made my commitment to follow Jesus, I knew there was some rubbish which, which had to come off of my life, my behavior, my language, how I connected with people, what I agreed with, what I did not agree with. And it caused me some pain. It caused some people to look at me funny. It caused some friends to put a little bit of distance between them and me. It attracted a little bit of mockery. But that's the price. The question was, was I going to stand for Jesus? Are you going to stand for Jesus at school, at work, at the gym, with your friends, at your place of work, place of play, among your family? Families can be so straightforward and nasty sometimes. Are you going to stand for Jesus? In some families, when they find out you're a Christian, you get completely cut off depending on their, on their faith and on their traditions. Are you going to stand for Jesus? Even if it costs you that. We have to be committed. We have to live a life for Jesus despite our circumstances. And this will disturb people that we are around. It will put us in uncomfortable positions. Stand humbly, but firmly. Another question. Not only are you ready to stand, but are you ready to stand united for Jesus? You see, we have to be united in our stand for Jesus as brothers and sisters. We have to be united as a congregation, together, as a local church. But you also have to be united as Christians. You work probably or study or, you know, have friends from other churches. They're Christians too. Are you willing to stand together with them as well for what is true? Or we need to acknowledge one another. There's too much infighting in the world amongst believers. Oh, you don't have my brand. I don't, I don't trust you. You don't worship exactly the way I do. You, I, I can't fellowship with you. Nonsense, man. We might have different ways of worshiping, different ways of, of structuring our services, but it's the same Jesus, the same Lord. If you're preaching the gospel, you're following Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister. So not only as a church, we should stand together, but as much as we can, stand together with other believers. Pray for them, pray with them, and be as one. Amen? We may not agree on everything, but our disagreement should not hurt the family. A group of people united... Has, will, will disturb the community, will disturb other people. There'll be attempts to undo that unity, and we have to protect our unity. The unity of the group has to be more important than individual desires. Okay? Oh, I don't like the way we're doing this, and therefore, goodbye, you know? Ah, be careful with that. Are you doing it for Jesus or doing it for yourself? And so, are we prepared to stand united for Jesus? Third question. Are you ready to fully and completely trust 
Jesus. Not just stand for Jesus, but trust Jesus with every area of your life. You, you see, there will be things that happen to you outside your comprehension. There will be things that happen that you don't understand. You might find yourself going, why, Lord? How? Are you willing to trust him in those moments? When the temporal things of this world don't make sense. Are you going to gamble your eternity just because you got a hiccup on your temporal things here? Or because you don't understand something? Are we going to trust Jesus completely even when we don't understand what is going on? At times, you look foolish in your faith. Are you still going to trust Jesus? Sometimes we will say things which are biblical, but to people around us, it's like, this is a fairy tale, man. Who are you crazy? Are you still going to trust Jesus and his word when it seems the opposite of what the world is saying? Hmm. Will we do all we can to lead other people to completely trust Jesus? You see, we will be tempted. Listen. We will be tempted sometimes to, to change or mod modify our calling to see people come to Jesus. Sometimes the, the, the message might seem a bit too narrow, too, too straight. And you might want to make it a bit easier for them. Look, yeah, you can. You can. No, no, no. Uh, it's Jesus. Are you willing to trust Jesus and his word? If we lose our trust in Jesus, we will lose our positive influence. There will be no power behind our lives. So, are you ready to fully and completely trust Jesus? But here's another side to this question. Number four, last one. Are you ready to hold up Jesus alone? Not only trust Jesus, but present Jesus as Savior, Jesus alone. We live in a pluralistic society. People want to embrace two, three different things at the same time. They want to please everybody. They want to be tolerant. Are you willing to say, sorry guys, it's Jesus or nothing. If you want to see the Father, to come to the Father, it is Jesus. You see, we have to stand by the statement that Jesus made in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. So somehow or other, people have to meet up with Jesus. Now, there are many ways of meeting up with Jesus, okay? Many things can happen in life which can cause a person to meet up with Jesus. Some meet up with Jesus in the moment of death even. But the fact is, Jesus will give everybody a chance to meet up with him. And our message must be, Jesus alone, not Jesus and. Hello? And that is where it becomes offensive. That's where the disturbance comes in. Even within some Christian circles, you speak like that and you are going to cause a disturbance. Because, but what about this? And what about that? And what about Mary? And what about saying so and so? And what about good works? And, and what about how, how good I've been? And I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. No, no, no. Doesn't it count for something? Jesus 
alone. It's not about how good you are. It's about in who do you believe? Who are you trusting? And it can get messy. And it can offend people. And some very good people, when you talk like that, they go, ah! <laughs> what are we going to do? Are we still going to love them? Are we still going to stay faithful to Jesus and be able to love people and, and pray for them and, and trust that somewhere along the line, they will have that encounter with Jesus, which they will if we continue presenting Jesus to them patiently, lovingly, prayerfully, and we continue upholding our values and living the Christian life. Are you ready to hold up Jesus alone? Amen. Well, if we compromise on Jesus in any way, we are no longer a Christian church. If we believe that Jesus is the only way, then that should motivate us to share the message with whoever we can, even if it disturbs people's lives. Remember, we don't disturb people. It is our message that may disturb people. On the other hand, it may not. It may just be what they've been wanting to hear. They've been looking for answers. And when you share the message, man, they're ready. And like some of those Jews and some of those Greeks that Paul spoke to in Thessalonica, they'll be ready to follow the Lord. And you been used by God to help someone, one more person, to follow Jesus. Amen? And so we hope that this disturbance that the message causes will help people to make choices that bring them to Jesus and to do His will. Amen? So as we close, I hope we will be counted, all of us, those of you watching online, those of us here present, anyone who will hear this, the, the, this message, anyone who will see this broadcast later, I hope each one of us will be people that cause disturbances in people's lives. Disturbances that will upset their balance and cause them to come closer to Jesus. Hallelujah. Disturbances that result in salvation, result in joy, result in health, result in restoration, result in healing, and result in peace. Either peace, that peace which cannot be explained. Amen? Disturbances that will turn their world upside down and right side up. Amen? Are you ready? Are you willing? Let's stand up. Let's close in prayer. Are you ready to stand for Jesus? To stand united for Jesus? To completely trust Jesus and to hold up Jesus alone? Father, the message has gone out, Lord. And I know that many of the brothers and sisters that are listening to this here online, on audio, Many of them have made this commitment and they will live by this commitment, Lord. But there may be others, Lord, which are a little bit on the borderline. They still have those ties with, with the friends, with the world. There may be uh, with traditions. There may be religious uh, uh, things from the past. And it is a bit of uncertainty. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, 
Today you bring that conviction upon them, Lord. That conviction to trust you completely. To know that you, Lord Jesus, can be trusted. That you are the only way, the only truth, the only way to life. The only way to the Father. The only way to eternity, Lord. And that you are the one that gives us peace, joy, and strength in this life, my God. I pray, Father, that you speak to every heart. Strengthen those who are strong. Strengthen those who are strong but who are feeling the battles of this life, Lord God, coming at them. Those needing a touch, a healing, a breakthrough, a restoration. Lord, please touch their lives. By your Holy Spirit, bring wisdom, bring healing, bring strength, Father. And to anyone who may be still questioning certain things, Lord, help them to come to you with their questions. And Lord, answer them by your Spirit. Open their eyes. Open their understanding, Lord, to hear you, to see your word and to see your will, to experience your power and your presence and your peace, my God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And I pray now that the love of God the Father that the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may be upon each one of you as you stand firm for Jesus. May he strengthen you. May he guide you. May he make you aware of your environment and help you to know what to say, when to say it, how to love people, how to reach out, how to be a blessing in other people's lives and bring them to the knowledge of our God in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Have a wonderful week and see you next Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord.